This is Mike Francesa. Join me each week on the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is real sports talk for the podcast generation. Subscribe to the free Mike Francis podcast today from wherever you get your podcasts. Don't even think about betting this football season until you check out the Sports Betters Paradise podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. The top college and pro football handicappers help you along all season long. Subscribe to Sports Betters Paradise wherever you get your podcasts. Industry leading, difference making, tomorrow shaping, world changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. Tonight, we're reacting to Denver's Week 15 road victory over the Colts their first road win of the season. We'll break down the coaching situation. We'll look ahead a little bit. Also talk about the quarterbacks. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It's time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me is Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, were you as devastated by the end result of that Steelers-Patriots game as it seems about three-quarters of the United States were? I don't know if uh, devastated really sums up how I think myself and everybody else not in the new england region felt about that game i I think i think disgusted is is probably a more appropriate term you just kind of knew that something bad would happen and then i think watching that replay three times they're like why are we why are we uh trying to see if this is a catch or not he clearly caught the ball then reached over and scored a touchdown and then just the the more times you see it you realize that the nerds in the replay room are going to pick out something to to make this good for the patriots and sure enough they decided that um catching the ball tucking it into your chest and then reaching out to cross the goal line actually crossing the goal line uh, and then only when the ball hits the ground jarring it loose a fraction of an iota of a little i don't know but jesse james basically has possession for you know what feels like a a good three seconds and it goes the steelers way or no it goes the patriots way sorry deron Harmon intercepts it and you know the patriots are just going to get home field advantage and probably go to the super bowl again which is a shame that's what's so frustrating about this game is that it in all likelihood is going to determine who at the very least has home field advantage but in all probability who advances to the Super Bowl from the AFC Conference. And once again, it's looking like the way is going to be open for the Patriots to to go to the Super Bowl. But as we were talking a little bit off air before we started tonight, there yep. are some glimmers of hope. There, The Steelers can – you never know. I mean, this is a team with ben, uh, Big Ben at the helm. We've seen do some pretty miraculous things in the past. And then you've got some other interesting upstarts uh, like Jacksonville, who it'll be interesting to see if they can make some noise in the playoffs where – I have my doubts, even though they have the defense. You know, this is, we're talking about a team where Blake Bortles is their starting quarterback. As important as it is, 
to have that defense. You know, defense wins championships and all that good stuff. It's all about the quarterback in the postseason. In the playoffs, it man, is. you got you just got to have that rare combo of a team hitting their peak defensively with a competent upper echelon quarterback. And I just don't think the Jags are going to have what it takes this time around. But they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for the for the near future. I, I would agree. I mean, Blake Bortles. I think he's thrown something like. Uh, 11 touchdowns hopefully that stats right uh, over the last three weeks which is kind of absurd but he's got 19 touchdowns eight interceptions this year and for all the flack that he's gotten he's actually uh, turned things around pretty well and well and he looked you know, we gotta never, we gotta give him credit two years ago he looked like a guy who was deserving of whatever he was a third overall yeah. pick I mean he he was throwing freaking he went over 4,000 yards passing Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, those guys were putting up some prolific numbers. And then last year, he just took such, I mean, two, three major steps backward in his development. Who knows? You know, right now, it doesn't seem as if he's going to be Jacksonville's long-term answer. But, you know, if they go to this, this will be the first time in whatever it's been, like 10 years, that Jacksonville will be in the playoffs. And they might not want to fiddle too much with that formula. Who knows? I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. Give them, give them a little more time to grow. See what happens. Well, we're here to talk some Broncos. We're here, the Huddle Up podcast, to give you a deep dive on your favorite team. And we need your help. Make sure you take some time, if you haven't done this already, and go to iTunes or if you're using Stitcher or whatever service you're listening to this show on and leave a creative review. Make sure you rate the show. Big help to us. We'd appreciate it. Also, just to drop the uh, social media follows, Huddle Up Pod at, on Twitter, at Huddle Up Pod. And, of course, at Mile High Huddle. Also, we're on Facebook, Mile High Huddle on Facebook. Make sure you give us a like there. And you got to be subscribing because we've only got, what, two more games left. And then it's going to be the tumultuous, probably the most tumultuous offseason we've seen in Denver in a long, long time. And you're not going to want to miss a single episode. We do have a lot to get to today. Uh, but first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Rep the Squad. Now, Rep the Squad is a jersey subscription club that lets you rep every jersey you want with hundreds of different jerseys. Rep the Squad allows you to switch between your favorite stars and styles whenever you like. Adult memberships are just $19.95 per month. Youth are $16.95 per month. New jerseys arrive fresh and clean within about two to three days of you ordering. It's kind of like Netflix for jerseys. What it does, Rep the Squad, is you get to rep the Broncos, rep the Orange Crush all season long, no matter if it's home, away, or alternate, and you're not having to spend hundreds, you know, hundred plus dollars each time you order a jersey. You get to switch them out whenever you want. You get sick of this player, you go on to the next. Free shipping both ways. Cancel anytime. Phenomenal service, phenomenal product for every Broncos fan out there. But here's the key. Use promotion code HUDDLE, that's H-U-D-D-L-E, to get 50% off your first month at RepTheSquad.com. That's promo code HUDDLE at RepTheSquad.com. All right, so we're a little bit late uh, to this story because we uh, we had some events conspire against us that we couldn't podcast immediately following Denver's victory on Thursday night over the Colts. So here we are. We're going to touch on a few storylines that came out of that game and talk about the fact that the Broncos, again, this is their first win on the road this season, which is just crazy. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, but on top of that, the last time the Broncos won in Indianapolis, Jake Plummer was sporting that number 16 jersey and getting it done, if I recall right, against Jim Sorge. They had sat Peyton Manning because they had already clinched playoffs number one or number two seed. So Jake Plummer got to go and beat up on Jim Sorge and company 
only to, I think it was one or two weeks later, get decimated in the same building when Peyton Manning came back. Uh, so it's been that long, boys and girls. And it started out not so hot with Trevor Simeon throwing an interception. Not, not too long after that, he gets knocked from the game. And Will, Treasure, your boy, he's done for the season, what's left of it. How do you feel about that? You know what? Um, he's had trouble. I think uh, durability is kind of one of his, his biggest weaknesses. I love the guy. I think everybody knows that. But um, I think the Broncos will be better off with Brock Osweiler for the rest of this season. Um, I don't think he's going to play quite as well as he did on Thursday. And I think it might be impossible to play better than yeah. he did. We should actually. talk about that. Yeah, yeah. There's a pretty mind-blowing stat that we'll unleash on you guys pretty soon. But um, it is it is too bad for Simeon. And to think about, you know, how much things have changed just from week right. two or three or, or even week four um, when they were three and one and he looked like he was, you know, solid. He was the heir apparent. Yeah. At, at some point. Well, after week he, two, even on this yeah. podcast, we were I, I said, if he keeps this up, this is a guy that you got to extend. You got to offer him that contract. Is it, I mean, it was such they blew out a team that was supposed to come in and blow them out. And they did it in such spectacular fashion. And Trevor Simeon was one of the key factors. It's just crazy how this season has inverted since then. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And he I don't know if it's it's not obviously entirely one player and we've kind of stressed that for a long time, but he didn't keep things up. And neither did the rest of the team really. Um it was a the eight eight game losing streak was wasn't on one player in particular. Obviously all three quarterbacks had a hand. Um they all contributed to the losing streak. Um, and so did the rest of the team because it's it's not a quarterback-driven uh, operation really in Denver. As much as we like to talk about the quarterbacks, it's all 53 guys. And um, the strength has been the defense, and that was kind of the problem. But Trevor Simeon, the, the future is a, kind of a mystery because we, we, we were talking about him being kind of the ideal backup. And you right. see what Jeez. Brock Osweiler does off the bench. Yeah. It looks like he might be the ideal backup, but who knows? Yeah, he comes in, Brock Osweiler, and arguably plays his best game as a pro. Now, we have to balance this with the the fact, we got to point this out, it was against the lowly Indianapolis Colts, and yeah, sure. it was on the road in a hostile environment with a stadium about one-third of the way full of Colts fans. But here's the stat that Will was alluding to just a moment ago. This is from ESPN Stats and Info after the game. Quote, Brock Osweiler's 99.2 total QBR tonight is the highest in the NFL for any QB in a game this season. That's with a minimum of 20 action plays, in parentheses. It's the highest total QBR in a game for a non-starting quarterback in the 12 seasons for which ESPN has total QBR data, close quote. So, I mean, he was, he was good. I didn't realize he was that good, but obviously he was a clear difference maker in that game and played the cleanest, most polished, most explosive, most effective play from Brock Osweiler that we've seen, I think, since he came to Denver. And that goes all the way back to 2012 and, you know, what yeah. he was doing as a starter in 2015. And it's just really interesting. And the, the biggest thing that really bothered me about Trevor Simeon as a starting quarterback is, you know, last year when things were going good for the Broncos, it was looking like it was actually a positive, his cool, calm demeanor, you know, his unflappability, poise in the storm, etc. But when 
sometimes your team from your quarterback position needs that guy like a Kirk Cousins storming down the tunnel saying, you like that. <laughs> you know, you need, you need a quarterback that's chasing down his receiver after a big play or a touchdown to celebrate. And, you know, sometimes you see him John in the other guy's face or whatever it might be. You need some of that, that, that emotional spark and some leadership in that aspect, some, some real enthusiasm that at times, I'm not saying always, I mean, look at Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning wasn't a guy always rushing down the field after a big touchdown to, you know, bump helmets with his his wideouts. But you saw him be very animated, very passionate, uh, lead in a very extroverted way at times when the when the situation called for it. Yeah, DJ Swearinger in that that yeah, Texans preseason when game. When he knocked out Wes Welker and gave him a freaking concussion. But and that's the thing with Brock is that's the best thing in my opinion about Brock is that energy he brings. Now, if only his actual skill set will could match what he does and can do as a leader uh the broncos would have a franchise quarterback but alas the two don't quite meet up when the rubber meets the road yeah um i I think one thing that worked in favor of brock osweiler was i think this is obviously the best quarterback game that we've seen in the sky cam era thursday night football and so (laughs) i think no but really like when you see passes like the one he made especially the touchdown, the 54-yard touchdown Ironman, with Jeff yeah. Ironman. Yeah. That from from the reverse angle, or not the reverse angle, but from the sky cam angle, I guess. Yeah. That throw looked borderline impossible. And the way he, he kind of just threaded it in there down the seam to a guy who's not known for um, his explosive plays in Jeff Ironman, that I think that really helped shape the perception about a guy. And I, I like – it sounds ridiculous to say that a camera angle can do that, right? But when you see the arm from uh, from just a different you know perspective, like how what what a great hose he has, like you don't see it necessarily in the broadcast view because get your minds uh, out of the gutter, people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously, what a great arm he has. <laughs> um, just to clarify. But yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily come across quite as much as it does on the broadcast view, and then uh, you can obviously see it too if you if you watch it in person. I've seen right. Brock in person too, and you can kind of tell what kind of arm he has. But you know that that Skycam angle just gives you a, a different look at it, and he really you know he really made the most of it. And I think um, he's you know if not saved his career in Denver, then he's extended his his football career in the NFL by a few years. Just well, and it's the Fitzpatrick effect, like I talked about the other week. Yeah. Well, save save some of that down the road stuff for later in the show. We have a couple of topics. We'll dive in a little bit deeper into Brock's possible future and where he goes from here. But let's let's uh, move on and talk about some of the other aspects of this win for the Broncos. Now, as an offense, of course, they put up 25 points, 462 total yards, which was impressive, especially again considering that they were on the road. Defensively, uh, they hold up. 228 total yards are allowed to Jacoby Brissett and company. They were unable, the Broncos, to take the ball away, but they still pretty much stymied that team for the better part of the game. And then flipping it back to the offensive side, well, Cody Latimer, I mean, that game, he's he's been playing – I mean, this whole season when he's been available, between his special teams and then his small amount of impact he's been able to make on offense, I think even before this game, earned him another contract with the Broncos. Not a blockbuster deal, don't get me wrong, but some kind of a team-friendly deal – uh, coming or at least an offer from the Broncos to come back. Whereas before yeah. this season started, it felt like a foregone conclusion that he was just one of those second-round busts that, you know, when when 2017 wrapped up, was going to be, uh, you know, in the rear view, so to speak, and just allowed to walk. This game, I think, 
put that put an exclamation point on his body of work late in his career in this second or this first uh, contract with the Broncos. Three receptions, 60 yards, his second touchdown of the season, and then of course to cap that off, he uh, hauls in the two point conversion on the same touchdown that he grabbed. Cody Latimer. I mean, this is a guy, Will, that I think the Broncos, he just brings so much. He's, he's finally, I mean, let's face it, when the Broncos drafted him in 2014, it was not long after they had just signed Emmanuel Sanders to a three-year deal. Demarius Thomas was coming up on, uh, his, his contract was running out, but they knew they were going to keep Demarius in town long-term. He was the clear-cut number one receiver. They let Eric Decker go. They knew they were going to let Julius Thomas go. So Demarius was the established number one going forward, Sanders is brought in as a mercenary to fill in, while Cody Latimer can be groomed to step in and be the number two eventually when Sanders' deal expired. Unfortunately, it's not the way it shook out, but the way he's playing this year, Will, throw aside his special teams acumen. The way he's played as a wideout in this offense this year, we're finally starting to see some of that ceiling that the Broncos saw to take him in the second round. Yeah, no, he's an incredibly athletic receiver. And I think just the the story of, of Cody Latimer's football career um, through his first four years is, is really something to be admired and, and something that a lot of people should um, kind of take inspiration in just because – you know he's drafted out of Indiana in the second round. Not a not a very like highly touted wide receiver, especially you know from one of the one of the least talked about Big Ten schools, especially in football. But um, he ends up being a, a a day two pick. Comes to Denver and doesn't quite hit it off, I guess, with Peyton Manning. Looks pretty good in the preseason, especially with Brock Osweiler at quarterback. I think he catches a long touchdown against San Francisco that kind of made people turn their heads a little bit. And he knocked out Antoine Bethea. That's right. That's right. Anyway, yeah. So he he doesn't really you know catch up and learn the playbook. Um, doesn't even get in the end zone until until his second year, 2015, and that's when Brock Osweiler uh, is given the job. And he never really quite catches on. But what he does is he he makes the most out of all of his abilities, and that's through special teams. Uh, he's a great run blocker, actually, which I think Chris Collinsworth pointed out in that Thursday night game. But you know, he, he could never quite figure it out as a receiver, and he is now a little bit to some extent, and yeah. maybe not uh, something that's worth the th- the second round price tag that the Broncos spent on him four years ago. But uh, he, he turned the he made the best of a bad situation, is what I'm trying right. to say. Yep. And a, a lot of people, a lot of wide receivers, I think, wide receivers more than any other position because, you know, it's kind of known as that diva position, not to stereotype an entire group of people here, but yeah, uh, they're not known for um, willingness, I guess, in other areas, most of them <laughs> at least. Well, he steps into a room with, now we didn't know it at the time, but he steps into a, a wide receiver room as a rookie with three Pro Bowl caliber players. Demarius Thomas had already been to a Pro Bowl, Wes Welker Pro Bowl. Emmanuel Sanders hadn't quite up to that point, but the Broncos had just paid him, and so he was going to be the number two receiver. And so obviously it was going to take some time for him to crack the offense, and I'm just glad to see it finally happening. And it's just enough that he's not going to be able to go out on the open market and just rake it in. The Broncos are going to be able to probably re-sign him without too much competition and without having to break the bank. And to your point about the the blocking as a a run blocker, I did a film piece, a VIP film piece, uh, for the Mile High Huddle Vips on uh, the day after the game. And going through and watching each play twice from the coach's film, all 22, I mean, I, I think I highlighted just one running play. 
But there were multiple plays of him just giving that extra effort, oftentimes on blocks that weren't on play side, you know, but he's up there just totally yeah. in a guy's grill, opening the way and doing what he's got to do. So he's a multi-tool guy. Happy for him. Happy that he's finally seeing some success. And let's hope the Broncos bring him back. Now, one last thing from that game I want to touch on uh, about the players themselves was C.J. Anderson. This guy is now within striking distance of that elusive 1,000-yard season, which he has never had. Now, you go back to 2014, he had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage in the final eight games in which he appeared with the Broncos, but not as a rusher. Right, he I think is 800 something total yard or 800 something rushing yards, his breakout year in 2014. Uh, he's got a chance, will a real opportunity to crack that thousand yards. And on Monday, Vance Joseph was asked about it. The Broncos, as a team, are well aware of how close C.J. Anderson is to hitting that mark and are going to be working their tails off to try and help him hit it on the night in Indy. 30 carries, 158 yards. Here's your pop quiz, Will, and for you listeners out there. Sure. Who was the last player to rush for 1,000 yards for the Denver Broncos and when? Ah, that would be No Sean Moreno in 2013. Boom. So it's been, a, it's been a minute. It's been a while since the Broncos have had a 1,000-yard rusher. So that'd be good for CJ, you know, because there's a chance the Broncos will keep him around a sliver at his current $4.5 million price tag. In all likelihood, what they'll probably do is ask him to take a pay cut, and he'll probably turn him down. And if he has that 1,000 yards, he should be able to go out there and and get himself a nice contract. Yeah, I mean, he kind of had the most unassuming monster rushing game of all time, I think, on Thursday night. Because you just look up, and and he never really broke a big run. Or maybe, you know, maybe this is the Skycam at work again, because the, the runs don't look quite as long on Skycam as they do in broadcast view. But he kept just good point. Just banging out like seven yards, you know, eight yards, 10 yards, the occasional like 14 or 16 yard run. But he, he never like, like busted loose for any like explosive 20 plus yard play. So you just like turn your, you know, you look up and he's like, oh, uh, and CJ Anderson's at 25 carries, uh, 130 yards. And it never really felt like it, but that's kind of a good thing to have in an offense where you're just steadily moving forward. And it's better to get you know, 158 yards on on a ton of carries than one massive run like kind of the the Ronnie Hillman path to 100 yards. But right, it's good. It's good just to keep an off offense on track and then help out the quarterback and, and get you in good downs and distances. And I, I think yeah. that definitely showed up. It really helped the offense. After the game, Vance Joseph talked about the Broncos finally figuring out how to play to their formula. What is that? run the ball with authority, protect the ball, play good defense, play, you know, establish a lead so the defense can play to their strengths. You know, put some points on the board. Take your shots downfield when you've got the defense in on their heels and in a situation where they can be exploited. And that's exactly what Brock Osweiler, Bill Musgrave and company were able to accomplish as a unit. You know, you keep hearing about and Vance Joseph, to his credit, has talked about this, playing as a team. These last two weeks, the Broncos have played as a team, whether it was Trevor Simeon at quarterback or Brock Osweiler. My question, Will, is Vance Joseph talking about the Broncos playing to their formula finally, you know, with a, a tone of exasperation in his voice. You know, he's appreciative of what's happening, but he's like, what took so long? Why did this take so long? What was it that held the Broncos back from – I mean, we're not talking about a – 
advanced style of play here. We're not talking about the 2013 Broncos offense that's Star Wars numbers, to quote Jim Ursay. I mean, we're talking about a team very limited from the quarterback position. Every coach, I would assume, on that uh, staff knew quarterback was limiting this year. So they're going to have to batten down the hatches, play a reserved kind of you know ground control, run out the clock type. Basically what we've seen the last two weeks, take your shots when you can get them and try and make this thing work. What in the heck? There's the question that Vance Joseph was going to have to answer to John Elway at the end of the season, which is, why did it take so long? What's your take on that? Well, I can give you kind of two reasons that they're finally playing to their formula. And the first is that they're playing the Jets and the Colts, um, which I think is good for good for any struggling team. It's, it's good Indeed. for what ails you Indeed. to play to play Bryce Petty and Jacoby Brissett in <laughs> back-to-back weeks. Um, but the second reason is they've only turned the ball over once in the last two weeks. And the, the one turnover that they have in those last two weeks have led to points. And another thing, and I think we'll talk about this later with the offensive coordinator, but they're not panicking. They didn't panic when they went down against the Colts. Um, they kind of stuck to their guns and ran C.J. Anderson. And they had a three and out to start with Brock. But um, they, they just kept going. And, and they overcame penalties, uh, like with Garrett Bowles holding on that right. really spectacular catch and run by Devontae Booker. And, it's you know, didn't let a didn't let it slow him down and i think in uh weeks past that would have been kind of it for that yeah. drive that would have crushed him this time they they found a way i don't know what it was maybe it's just brock osweiler's got a, a good attitude or something worked you know again they're playing he's the colts but, hose. right yeah he's got that hose <laughs> um but it's good to be able to overcome mistakes and come back and, you know, put the ball in the end zone. And yeah. that's what they did. And finally it's working out and who, who knows how long it'll last, but it, it's nice uh, while it's happening. I wrote about that. In fact, today talking about our next topic here, which is Bill Musgrave that sure. on that drive in which Devonte Booker made his Herculean leap over the Colts defender for a touchdown that was wiped off the board by a Garrett Bowles holding penalty that the Broncos of the first three quarters of this season, that would have totally caused them to crumble. That would have been either a field goal attempt, which probably would have been missed by Brandon. Yeah, Smith, really. Or, you know, a punt uh, or maybe even a turnover. I mean, when it rains, it pours type things for the Broncos this year. But something ha- a switch has been flipped in that sense. Uh, we'll try and put our, our finger on what exactly changed or what exactly that switch is and how it was flipped. I think a lot of it, has to do with the change at offensive coordinator. Now, listen, I'm not going to sit here and bag on Mike McCoy. Okay, Mike McCoy is when this uh, past off season, after he got jettisoned from the Chargers as head coach, he was one of the hottest names on the coaching market for offensive coordinator in the NFL, and for a reason. He's got he's a very talented, very smart offensive mind, and going into this season. I think the biggest mistake he made, and I'm going to tie this into Bill Musgrave, the biggest mistake Mike McCoy made, we've heard reports about how his playbook was actually bigger than the playbook the Broncos were operating under McCoy with Peyton Manning. And he went into this season with a playbook that sophisticated, that big, that deep, with two quarterbacks. Okay, This was before. I mean, that playbook, if any of you have not read uh, Take Your Eye Off the Ball by Pat Kerwan, you got to take some time, get on Amazon, order that bad boy. You'll learn one of the many, many things you'll learn 
is that playbooks, you know, it's like what the Broncos did in 2011 where they switched from Orton to Tebow and the offense changed on a dime. That is so rare and almost impossible for NFL teams to do because by the time teams get to training camp, the playbook is in the books. It's, that's it. That's the way it's going to be. And you can play off different things. You can change it. You can tweak it here and there. But fundamentally, the playbook is what it's going to be by the time you hit training camp. And if we go back in time, the Broncos had two, well, three quarterbacks, not counting Chad Kelly. Let's just focus on Trevor Simeon here and Paxton Lynch. Why, why would McCoy think he could make a system like that pass happy? I mean, how many times was Trevor Simeon thrown 40 times or more uh, during Mike McCoy's tenure? It just didn't make sense. There was some kind of a disconnect there, which is so ironic, Will, because he is known, Mike McCoy, as the coach who is going to fit the system to the talent that he has. And yet, for whatever reason, right. he could not recognize that he didn't have the caliber of quarterback talent on his in his unit to play and utilize and make the most out of that playbook. So I think that's the biggest thing. Bill Musgrave comes in, and he pairs this thing down. It's like he basically heard it from Vance Joseph. We need to pair this thing down. We need to focus on the run. We need to be uh, more careful with the ball, limit the opportunities for our quarterbacks to make mistakes, and just go out there and play physical football. And that's exactly what the Broncos have done. Over the last four games in which Bill Musgrave has been the coordinator, the Broncos have rushed for 456 yards. Uh, They're scoring points despite three different quarterbacks that Bill Musgrave has actually had to start, uh, or I shouldn't say start, but play with over these four games. The play calling, the scheme has vastly improved. And that's, the I think, the biggest thing for me, Will, with Bill Musgrave is that not only is he scheming to the strengths of his personnel – The irony is that Mike McCoy should have been doing that. But not only is he doing that, but as a play caller, as a tactician in the moment, he has just been in his own, at least the last couple weeks. Like, he is just finding the right play calls at the right moments to capitalize on the right looks and just totally deflate these opposing defenses. I have been, I can't tell you enough how impressed I've been with Bill Musgrave, and I'm just really hopeful. We'll talk more about this here in a little bit, but I'm just hopeful that he's a guy that ends up sticking around in Denver. Yeah, I do too. And he, he was kind of, I think Mike McCoy got into trouble where when your quarterback's playing well, and he definitely was in the first two weeks, you know, that kind of erases um, everything else that goes wrong on the offensive side, like, you know, the offensive line troubles, which they were having in the first couple of weeks. It's just that Trevor Simeon was kind of playing above them. And, the, the thing is, when they got into a hole in Buffalo, they, they just didn't know how to get out of it. And they were kind of doing this thing where it's kind of the reverse Kubiak philosophy on offense, where Kubiak would kind of like to, you know, start off like the first three plays on offense with a pass. And it's kind of the, the Shanahan Kubiak school of thinking, too, where you're just really aggressive on the first drive, try to get that lead and then run the football. And it seemed like McCoy was getting into trouble where he was trying to do the opposite. And they're running the football and then getting into a deficit. Maybe they turn the ball over once or twice, and then it's just pass, pass, pass yeah, from there. That's a good observation, man. I hadn't thought about that. And it, it's just not its not an effective way to play because uh, they were aggressive, I think, especially in that Dallas game. They come out and throw the ball down the field. You know, they run the ball too well where – Musgrave, he's just he's got a balance about him, I think. Mm-hmm. And that Jets game was I think was the perfect example because, you know, it's easy to run the ball a lot when it's working, 
which obviously they run the ball 30 times with C.J. Anderson and then a few more times with Booker on Thursday night. But that's not really as admirable to run the football. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner ball when you're getting huge chunk plays just about every time but what I liked about that Jets game was they weren't really getting a a ton of ground or a ton of room on the ground uh, against New York just because they've got a a really good defensive front Mm -hmm. but they didn't really care they just kept plugging away and running and it's just a good thing for the quarterback because it sets up play action uh, wears it, out it makes the, the defense. Yeah, it wears out the defense, and it just keeps them on their toes a little bit. Where McCoy just kind of got him in situations where you know the pass is coming. Yep. And to have that predictability is a death sentence for an offense. And Bill Musgrave, I think, has figured that out, and you can really tell it hasn't been you know tremendously explosive. Obviously, twenty four and twenty five points in the last two games, but it's been perfect for the formula, especially with the defense coming together like it has. We do have a few more topics to digest before we get out of here. But before we do, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download, you guys, and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. For example, Take Your Eye Off the Ball by Pat Kerwan. That's something that you could be listening to. Right after this podcast, get oh, yeah. a free audiobook. Get your download. There's that great, uh, I forget the title now off the top of my head, but the Steve Belichick scouting book, phenomenal. Fans of this podcast would really enjoy those type of things. And to listen to them in the audiobook format, Carl Dummler, uh, our colleague here on the show, talked about listening through Audible to that Steve Belichick book. And that's something you could do. If you're not sure about it, you're not a big reader, that's fine. But Audible allows you to consume the books that you want to read without having to sit down and turn the pages. And you can do it while you're doing other things, whether it's driving, your commute, you know, running, the gym, cooking, yard work, whatever it might be. So take some time and go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up. You get that free book. You get a 30-day trial to check it out. And I promise you, if you give it a whirl, you're going to like it. And you're going to come back and you're going to thank us. And those of you who have taken the opportunity patronize our sponsors supporting the show big shout out and a big thank you from all of us here at the huddle up podcast now let's talk about uh, the quarterback situation at least this week is it going to be Paxton Lynch is it going to be Osweiler Trevor Simeon of course going on injured reserve and it really is a little bit of a Sophie's choice and I say that in all seriousness for the Denver Broncos because you have Brock Osweiler coming off his again arguably his best performance as a pro and you want more of that. You know, it's like Vance Joseph has talked about. Whoever we have at quarterback, we're not going to forfeit games. The, the goal is still to win. But at the same time, you have a now healthy, uh, unquestionably healthy Paxton Lynch, whom the Broncos going into this offseason need as much information as possible as they can get on this guy. And so it really has left the Broncos in a little bit of a conundrum. And here's what, when asked specifically on Monday, what they're going to do at quarterback this week. Here's what Coach Joseph said, just really quick. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, we're going to 
obviously discuss it with the uh, with the staff and see where we are. You know, with both guys. You know, obviously, um, you know, Paxson hadn't practiced in three weeks. We've got to see where he's at uh, physically. He um, he came in Saturday and Sunday, threw the ball, uh, rehab. So we'll see, we'll see. But so it's a lot of things that goes into that decision. You know, who plays this week for us. So they're going to sit down with the staff. Uh, I would assume that probably includes John Elway, <laughs> and talk about who is going to be the quarterback this week on the road yet again against the Washington Redskins. Will, if you were running this organization, who would you start this week? I mean, I think it's impossible not to start Brock Osweiler the way he played, given the way he played last week. I, I mean, I don't see any scenario where a guy comes out, comes off the bench, and then puts up the best quarterback performance of the season, and you say, well, we actually have to see what this other guy's got. And it's just, you know, in a perfect world, you want, you would want to see what, what Paxton Lynch brings to the table a little bit more than you already have. Right. Um, because I, I don't know. I don't know how much better it gets than that Raiders game, really. Um, I think, you know, that kind of confirmed everybody's suspicions, um, especially since, you know, at that Jaguars game last year. Uh, but I don't know how you justify that yeah. because it, it tells the locker room, you know, performance isn't the number one thing right. at this at this stage of the season. It's about evaluation. It, it really should be about performance, number one. And I think it sends the wrong message to not play your best player. And that's clearly Brock Osweiler right now. I feel the same way today as I did coming out of that Oakland game in which uh, Lynch was knocked out of the game, crying on the sideline. I really feel like the Broncos, you know, they're going to be tempted, but I really do feel like they've seen about everything they need to see from Paxton Lynch. And it, listen, it's not just all about what he's done on the field. In most cases, that would be the greatest portion of your measuring stick, how they actually perform on game day. Well, he's only got three starts, and when you add them all together, including the Tampa Bay game last year, he's basically got three full games of NFL experience, right? And unfortunately, with Paxton Lynch, part of this issue is that what is really holding him back and and one of the reasons why the Broncos probably feel like they don't need to see much more from Paxton Lynch is all the other stuff that he does or doesn't do off the field, whether it's a a lack of of maturity, uh, unwillingness to put in the, the work, put in the effort, lack of preparation. I mean, so there's so many moving parts to the, the full story that is Paxton Lynch that by this point, almost two full years since he was drafted in the first round, he really has devolved to a point where the Broncos don't really need to see anything more from him. Like they, they feel like they have a pretty good beat on what the book is on Paxton Lynch. And as sad and as frustrating as that is, seeing that the Broncos traded up, gave up a third round pick to move up in the first round and take this guy, he's a first-round bust. And you can talk about reasons why you would want to keep him on. He's still got two more years left in his contract. You know, he was a two- or three-year project to begin with. Why, why would you give up on him now? The Broncos are at a crossroads going into 2018 when it comes to the quarterback position. They need to have guys who they can count on as being part of the solution, whether it's as a starter, and if not, cross that off the list, catch you later, or a backup. Let me ask you this. Going into next season, and this is to the listeners, let's say it's Kirk Cousins. Let's say it's another first-round, high-round quarterback, whoever it might be. Okay, The Broncos have a new, established starter at quarterback. 
If that person goes down, would you want Paxton Lynch to be your last line of defense at quarterback? I mean, ask yourself that question because I think at this point, you wouldn't want to risk that if you're the Denver Broncos after everything they've been through, not only with Lynch, but everything they've been through this year. They need stability. They need someone they can count on. And you know what? Going into next year, Brock Osweiler might not have done enough to be able to prove to the Broncos that he can be their starter, but he has at the very least proven to them that he'd be worth a few million dollars a year to keep around as a backup quarterback. I don't see, honestly, I really will don't see any reason for the Broncos to go back to Lynch, even though this season is over. There's nothing to play for in terms of you know, postseason positioning and seeding and winning a division and all that stuff. There's just absolutely no reason for the Broncos. And, and I agree with you on that point. That is it about evaluation or is it about guys who execute? Brock yeah. Osweiler executed. You found a way to turn the ship around late in the year. Why would you, you know, going back to Vance Joseph talking about his formula, why would you want to fiddle with that in the eyes of the veterans? And I, I think, you know, 30 games in to someone's career, if you're still saying we have to see what this guy's got, I think that answers your question that he probably doesn't have it. And that's, I don't know, it's too bad. But if you're a first round quarterback and you can't, you know, make it clear that you should be on the field 30 games in at the end of the second season, I mean, that's, that's all the evidence you need really, I think. Agreed. Let's, uh, let's move on and talk a little bit about, well, actually, let's play a game, a little segment. We'll call it Who Survives? We've received quite a few questions, uh, I have anyway, from fans, from readers, from listeners, uh, wanting to know what in the heck's going to happen with this coaching staff coming out of this season. So we'll play a little game called Who Survives, and I'll just serve them up to you, Will, and I'll offer my thoughts on each one. Who survives out of Vance Joseph? Is he surviving this season in your mind? Oh, okay, so you're talking about the offseason. I thought you were referring to some type of five-man battle royale <laughs> in which they all fought to the death. In which case, I'm not sure if I would take Davidson or Olivo, but it's definitely one of the well, two. I would take uh, Kolar, you know, Bill Kolar, if I if it was in that oh, yeah. situation. Yeah. But, I don't no, think he's going anywhere. Vance Joseph, has he done enough in your mind, or do you think he's done enough in the minds of the Broncos? Um, I don't know, because it seemed like there were conflicting reports a couple weeks, or not a couple weeks ago, but a couple days ago that said, you know, now the Broncos want to keep him, and that kind of runs contrary to everything that we're hearing uh, over the eight-game losing streak. But I, I think it comes down to if he can win out and win the last four games, I think he's you know given the Broncos a reason to keep him around. I would agree with you, and I would even say that if they win one of their last two games and so long as they're competitive in that fourth one, even if they sure. lose, yeah, yeah. I think Joseph – because think about this. How easy would it, been, would it have been for a first-year head coach embattled in an eight-game losing streak to just, you know. Fold. Just fold. Just surrender to the fates, you know. But he didn't. He found a way to make whatever changes, tweaks, had to fire one of his most valued coordinators, a guy who he actually talked about wanting to get in his interview for the job with the Broncos. Mike McCoy was a big part of Vance Joseph coming to Denver. He had to fire that guy. He did what it took. And I think ultimately the wherewithal to put a stranglehold on this situation and turn the ship around, even though it was too late by this point. I mean, the season was over. It does show a toughness. It does show a, a certain metal that is very intriguing. 
And if you can put the right pieces personnel-wise in place, I mean, that's the one thing, one aspect that was believable to me, especially in that Ian Rappaport uh, report right before the Jets game, in which he said the Broncos are looking for a reason to keep him. They don't want to fire Vance Joseph. The caveat to that report was that they knew they handed Vance Joseph a, a, a it wasn't an ideal quarterback situation. Let's just put it that way. So yeah. for me, I look at what he was able to do over the last couple of games. Granted, against subpar, I mean, we're not talking about the best teams in the league. These next two games will be a little bit more defining in that regard as far as the level of competition. But if you can put a, a quarterback who has some skill, who has some ability in the Broncos' locker room, in that offense – Put a few more pieces in place, like, you know, find another good tackle on the offensive line. I don't care what you do with Bowles, whether it's left or right, but find one more tackle that you can count on. You've found your guard of the future in Connor McGovern. Max Garcia, after this season, you're a swing guard in Denver. No more. Ron Leary, you've already got him. Matt Paradis, he's a restricted free agent. So you've got your offensive line, with the exception of one position, relatively sewn up and with some confidence, I might add. I mean, Connor McGovern has played extremely well over the last three weeks. So you, you make a few tweaks, add a few pieces of personnel here and there, so long as you get the right guy at quarterback, Vance Joseph might be the guy to turn this thing around long term. So I do, I agree. I, I think Vance Joseph is coming back. There's little doubt in my mind unless the Broncos go into these two games and completely crap the bed and are not competitive whatsoever and get blown out. Now, here's another one. Now, that some of these might be, you might think, dependent on whether or not Vance Joseph comes back, and that might be true. But I also want you to consider the fact that last year, just less than a year coming off a Super Bowl win, the Broncos wanted to keep Gary Kubiak, but they wanted to fire everyone except Wade Phillips, who they were just going to let go. Basically, all of Kubiak's offensive staff, they were going to show the door. So what I'm trying to explain to you is it is within the realm of possibility that a front office and an ownership – can say we want to keep the head coach but make changes at certain quarterbacks and or coordinator in, in whatever position. So here's right. my next question for you. Does Bill Musgrave survive? Does he get kept around in more than an interim position as offensive coordinator? I mean, again, you'd have to say that it comes down to the next two games, but given what we've seen from him already in the last two games, uh, I think, yeah, he's, he's found himself a spot permanently. I, I use permanent in quotation marks just because it's the NFL and there's nothing permanent about it. Um, but I, I think, yeah, given the way that he's called the last two games and, and the things I talked about like balance and, and being committed to the run and being less predictable than they were under Mike McCoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And he's got the track record to prove it. Um, you saw what happened too to the Oakland Raiders offense with and without Bill Musgrave and um, I I don't know that he's ever going to turn the Broncos offense into what we saw last year with the Raiders but you know I I think all signs point to him sticking around you get the quarterback and he very well could all right I wrote about this today Uh, we're tracking this Monday of course Bill Musgrave in 2016 fielded the number six total offense for the Oakland Raiders This year, they jettisoned him, of course. They put in Todd Downing as offensive coordinator. And they dropped to 6-8 and in the standings with two games left to go. And now they're the 19th overall offense. So Bill Musgrave, excuse me, Bill Musgrave, you put the right piece in place quarterback-wise. And, you know, so many coordinators are dependent, of course, on the quarterback. But you just go out and you get him a competent quarterback with some talent. And I think he's going to be able to do some really good things. 
I my question, and then we'll move on. My question is: Is he going to want to stick around even if they offer him the full time coordinator position? That's a question for another time. But how about Joe Woods? After such an up and down season, he's John Elway's darling. He's a guy that he was willing to yeah. Wade Phillips in order to push forth Joe Woods and promote him up the tree. Does he survive? I think um, without the last couple of games, you would be really skeptical to keep him around. But the defense has responded so well. And I, it was such a hard position to be in as a defense and a defensive coordinator with the offense and special teams playing as poorly as they did for most of the season. Um, that I think you kind of just give Joe Woods a mulligan for a few of those games. And, you know, now that. We've seen what the defense is at their best, like shutting out the Jets 24 to nothing, um, and then really putting away the Colts in the second half. Yep. I think you do keep Joe Woods around and hope that a little more balance and you know fewer turnovers that put the defense in bad spots um, mean a return to dominance for the Broncos' defense. So yeah, I think you would have to keep him around. I would agree. I would agree that the last two weeks have really helped <clears throat> kind of bolster Woods standing within the Broncos organization. The biggest thing for Joe Woods' unit, I mean, as you say, he was handed a pretty raw deal with all the turnovers this year and all the sudden changes. But for whatever reason, his team, his unit, did not respond well to those situations. Touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown surrendered in those situations that, you know, it's it's disheartening. The team as a unit, as a complete team, was very low. So it's understandable in a sense how things were allowed to get so out of hand, even on such a talented defense. But I do agree that Joe Woods, you go out, you stop Kirk Cousins, you go out and you put an exclamation point on this season by beating the Chiefs. I think Joe Woods sticks around. Here's a more interesting one, maybe. Brock Olivo. We're talking about a special teams unit. Let me just preface this. Who's given up, I believe, if I recall right, multiple returns uh, on kick and punt coverage. Uh, Brandon McManus has completely regressed to a point where you can't count on him after going into this season as the most accurate kicker in Broncos history. And then, you know, you, you're continuously fielding a returner who's got fumbleitis, a very virulent case of fumbleitis, over and over again. So does Brock Olivo survive this season? This is the one who I – it pains me to say it because I love everything that Brock Olivo stands for and just the kind of person that he is. But I don't think he makes it um, just because it's been consistently bad on special teams. And when I say consistently, I mean like from the first game of the preseason on. And we were talking about it in the preseason too where I was putting Brock Olivo on my uh, uh, my naughty list basically um, to use a Christmas analogy. But – we're, we were kind of hoping that, you know, because in, in the preseason, the special teams unit is basically comprised of guys that aren't going to be on the team right. come come regular season. And we've given it 14 weeks, and I think it either stayed as bad as it was in the preseason or potentially got worse. Um, so I don't know. There's some things I wouldn't attribute to him, kind of like Brandon McManus missing a few field goals. I don't know how much that's on a special teams coordinator. Um, but there are things like, you know, getting a delay of game penalty when they didn't know who was on the field goal unit last week against the Colts, which backed the field goal up five yards, which caused Mc- – I don't know if it caused McManus to miss it, but he he missed it by a margin yeah. of less than five yards. Yeah. So 
those are things that you can't have. And, and so I think that falls on the coordinator. So as much as I do love Brock Olivo and, you know, the crazy genius that he appears to be in press conferences, we might have to show him the door. I think unless Vance Joseph is so confident in his place with the Broncos that he completely goes to bat and bends over backwards to try and convince the front office to keep Brock Olivo, I think that's the only way Brock Olivo is, is going to remain in Denver. Special teams has cost this team significantly all year long, and there's just been no – it's one of those things where there's, it's just been consistent. Like, the offense has turned it around. The defense has turned it around. Special teams continues in small ways, albeit lately, but they're just – Brock Olivo doesn't seem to have any control over what's, his, what's happening with his unit on the field. And then here's one last one. Now, he's not a coordinator – but he's the coach of the offensive line, Jeff Davidson, who came to the Broncos, highly touted. You know, he's very much married, you know, to the hip, basically, with Mike McCoy, with their past and the way they've worked with each other in years past. But he comes to the Broncos. It looked good to start, kind of like last year. The first couple of games, it looked like this offensive line was going to be a force to be reckoned with. But then it really went downhill. However, Will... Things have looked up ever since Ron Leary went down. And I don't say that's because of Ron Leary. He was playing at a Pro Bowl level. But something about this combination, at least having McGovern at right guard and Donald Stevenson, who had a bad game against the Colts, but the previous two games played very, very well. He seems to have really stabilized the unit. Is there any reason to get rid of him in 2018? I don't think so. Um, A, because I didn't even realize that Donald Steven was starting those games uh, against the the Colts and, and the Jets. So I think that's a big credit to Jeff Davidson when you can just hide the worst part of your offensive line. So I think that combined with the way Garrett Bowles has played, which, you know, aside from penalties, I think he's been a, a really quality left tackle this year. Um, gotten a lot out of Connor McGovern, obviously. Matt Paradis has been pretty good. Um, and then Ronald Leary, when he's been playing, has has been excellent, I thought. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's some weak parts on the offensive line, like Garcia and, and Watson, basically whoever's been playing right tackle, Alan Barber occasionally. Um, but another thing you have to keep in mind is they shifted from a zone blocking scheme to kind of a, a more – it's a little bit hybrid, but it's mostly a power blocking scheme. Yeah. And that takes a little bit of time um, because you have to get the guys that, that fit the scheme. And so I think – Generally, I don't know if the stats back this up, but my perception has been that the offensive line has been better this year than it was in 2016. And and given another year under the scheme, and we know how important continuity is to offensive line play, um, you get the right guys in, you get them to mesh a little bit, you get a consistent unit, I think it'll really, really start to show. And I, I think given... Given the players that he had, a rookie left tackle, um, basically a traffic cone at, at uh, right tackle, Max Garcia at left guard, I think Jeff Davidson's done a really good job with the offensive line, and so I think you keep him around. The biggest argument for keeping him around is you hit the nail on the head. Continuity. They have to establish some continuity. Uh, they got to be able to sustain that unit and have a consistent message, consistent points of emphasis in terms of coaching and technique. So I think so long as Joseph survives, Davidson's a guy who's going to survive right along with him. Now, we're almost out of time. 
We'll take a couple questions here from the Mile High Mailbag. We are your Broncos priests. We're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And we'll kind of hit these rapid fire because we are running out of time. First question comes from Mile High Maniac on Twitter. Serious question. If you could only keep one Broncos QB for next year, who would it be, including whoever's on injured reserve and or the practice squad? Will, your answer. That only little, keep one. Yeah, that second part's kind of interesting just because it doesn't rule out – it does rule out um, – or it doesn't, I should say, rule out Chad Kelly. So uh, that's a tough one because you the the part about Kelly not playing and, and getting that red shirt year kind of makes you think yeah. that – yeah, so I think it's intriguing that it said whoever's on injured reserve and practice squad too because that includes Chad Kelly. So right. we don't really know what we have in him. He might be, you know, that guy who we were talking about as uh, a possible day one, day two quarterback in the 2017 draft. Obviously, he was Mr. Irrelevant, but that's more to his uh, – uh, That's I think that's more given his reputation as, as Swag Kelly and or Machine field, Gun Kelly. Yeah, yeah so – um, it's hard to say, you know, get rid of a guy who, who just has intrigue because I think we're just drawn to the mysterious and, and what we don't know and, and our, our sense of curiosity overrides um, our sense of stability Plus in, some, pedigree. in some cases. Right, right, right. And we saw what he could do at his in his best moments at Ole Miss, and I think it was pretty impressive. I, don't, I know a lot of people don't agree with me, but I think Chad Kelly was a pretty worthy quarterback in college. Um, but I think – to be practical, you would say you need a, a solid backup, and I think the most solid backup on this team right now is probably Brock Osweiler. I would agree. It's a really tough question. Good question, Mile High Maniac. Yeah. The the football fan in me would want to say Chad Kelly uh, because he does have, in my opinion, there's people that disagree with this, but I think he does have a phenomenal upside I think he's proven this year as a pro, his first year in this league, that he can keep himself out of trouble, that he can be a guy that's, you know, seen, not heard from, so to speak. And yeah. that that's earned him some props in my mind and actually even bolstered the opinion that he might could be something in the NFL. But coming off a season of such just devastation, the Broncos need – the surest thing they can get at quarterback next year. So if I could only keep one and I'm making the decisions, I'm keeping Brock Osweiler. Now, the next question, then we'll get out of here, comes from Jacob Smith on Twitter at JSMileHigh9798. Jacob's question, who's the odd man out at wide receiver next season if Latimer is locked up? Sunshine, has, he says, definitely deserves a spot. DT is the one. Sanders, the two, if not traded. Carlos Henderson should be in the mix. McKenzie has been mediocre at best. Fowler has some bright spots. So who's out? Well, I'll let you answer this one first as well. Man, well, we'll just do process of elimination. Now here. remember, this is if Latimer is locked up. Right. So yeah. So provided that he is locked up, and I think he will be. DT. I don't think there's any question that he remains the number one. I think he's had a really good season, giving given the circumstances, especially uh, lately since they made the move to Osweiler. Carlos Henderson, um, obviously, you don't spend a third rounder on a wide receiver um, and then give him a redshirt year, uh, not to give him a chance in year two. So we'll see what he does as a receiver. Isaiah McKenzie, I'm still intrigued by what he can provide as kind of that, uh, maybe not a slot receiver, but kind of that just yeah, uh, almost like a scat back a sort of. Guy. 
gadget guy, I think is the right word for it. Benny Fowler, I think is, is just really uh, up and down, but I think at his best moments, he can have a really big impact kind of like he did early in the season. I think the guy, yeah, Sunshine has been the Jim Leonard Jr. basically returning punts, which has really helped the team, I think, in the last two games uh, to have anyone not named Isaiah McKenzie back there. Um, But you kind of need that that sure-handed, goofy-looking white guy to catch punts occasionally. So it it really hurts me to say this, but I think it makes – makes a little bit of sense to move on from Emmanuel Sanders, both kind of in a, a sense of roster building and, and giving other guys a chance to to get snaps. And I, I just don't see Emmanuel Sanders as a guy who kind of wants to stick around for a rebuild. Maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, and maybe that's just me like playing into the, the DMAC narrative of Emmanuel Sanders because I, mm-hmm. I think he's a great player. And I don't, I wouldn't blame him for wanting him to move on just because, you know, that's kind of the nature of the NFL and the free agency era that, you know, he, he wasn't a Bronco to begin with. He was drafted by the Steelers and played his first four years in Pittsburgh, came to Denver and, you know, was more than anybody could have ever imagined. And, well, and he, those, he basically goes from yeah. two, one Hall of Fame quarterback to another. Right, right, right. And I don't, I don't know. It kind of hurts me to see him toil and, obscurity here in denver while they figure out the quarterback position because he's he's not a lifelong bronco i think like dt is and he is a super bowl hero though he was he was easily the best receiver in that game so i think he'll always have a a really important spot in this franchise's history Um, but i I think it does make sense taking all emotions out of it to move on from emmanuel sanders well and here's the key too of all the guys that have value in that group the one that has the most that you could actually get on the trading block is Emmanuel Sanders, and his contract's not that prohibitive. So there are teams out there who feel like they're one difference-making receiver away from exploding offensively, I think, who would be willing to give up a little something and take on that contract. But I'll I'll just take a little bit of a different uh, tact and assume they keep Sanders, which basically comes down to sunshine, Carlos Henderson, Isaiah McKenzie, and Benny Fowler. And if I had to choose between those four guys, Benny Fowler would be the odd man out. And it's not that I think Benny Fowler sucks. I just think he's the type of receiver in this in this league, the type of kind of big-bodied possession guy who's a dime a dozen. You can find a million guys like him. And maybe you could argue the same for Jordan Taylor. But Jordan Taylor offers more. He, he's just as, as valuable as a receiver, if not more so in terms of his big playability. And as a special teamer, he can gun, and he can also return punts. And I know the team, not just the coaches, but the team love Jordan Sunshine uh, Taylor because of what he can do and his commitment and willingness just to do whatever this team asks for. The Broncos aren't anywhere close to being willing or ready to move on from Isaiah McKenzie and Carlos Henderson. It's not even a, it's not even a question. So for me, it would be Benny Fowler, and that's going to do it. For today, you can find Will on the Twitterverse at WillKey6, myself at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you're following the show also, Huddle Up Pod. Tweet us your questions. We're going to always try to address them on the show as often as we can. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of the Redskins game, all their analysis on Kirk Cousins, uh, probably by Wednesday afternoon sometime. Also, they'll have another draft episode later this week, so make sure you're subscribing, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle.